Hello and welcome to episode 86 of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. Today is February 2nd. February 2nd. I've always struggled with saying that. Fun fact, when I was a kid, I actually had to take speech classes because my R's were W's. Um, and so they had to get me to stop saying, whoa, 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 your boat, and say, row, row, row your boat. So sometimes I still kind of have that a pop up, I think. Anyway, it is the second of the second month of the year. It is the midpoint between winter and spring. So I definitely encourage you to take a little bit of a walk and enjoy your, if it's, you know, appropriate temperatures and stuff, get get wear a coat if you need to um en- enjoy the day take notice of the seasons um i also have because um i'm feeling i don't know corny i guess um there's this poem that somebody showed me this week that i really enjoyed so i'm going to read this poem it's called the way it is by william stafford there's a thread you follow it goes among things that change but it doesn't change People wonder about what you're pursuing, but you have to explain about the thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you can do, nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. Sort of on that note, we are also going to be starting, um, the episode with another, uh, uh, obituary, a little bit of a shorter one uh, for Lisa Loring, the original Wednesday Adams, who passed away this past week. Um, so I don't know, we'll start off with some hard stuff like that, and then we'll go and uh, get into more fun and light things like uh, the rest of the news, which is obviously going to include the DC slate. Of course, that's going to include that in here. Um, I'm we ha- we have thoughts. We'll, we'll get to them. Uh, after that, we'll continue our tarot studies uh, with an introduction that's kind of continued from last week. I'm going to do a little bit of a history of tarot, which is actually quite interesting, and I have my own thoughts about why things went the way that they went in the history of tarot and and whatnot. Um, and then we'll go over the traditional uh, 22 cards of the Major Arcana, and that will lead us into next week's tarot studies, which will start with card of the week, card number zero of 22. It's the card, the last card is number 21, because we start with zero, and that will be the Hermit. Um, uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about the deck of the week, which we will, uh, it's a liminal 11 deck, and we will go over that when we get there. We also have a fun little manga section. We have a manga of the week, which is, uh, for appropriate reasons that I will explain when we get there, My Dress Up Darling. Please don't laugh if you know what it is. It's actually very good. Um... <laughs> All of those statements will be explained again when we get there. There's not a ton of manga news, but I have been reading a manga that I absolutely adore these past few days, um, so I will talk about that a tiny bit as well. Is as for the comic books this week, they have already been they have already been out in comic book shops, so make sure that you check out everything that's out. But the stuff that um, I find interesting, I'll I will kind of read those off. I haven't read this week's books yet, so. We're pretending they're not out yet, I guess. Um, And then we'll go over the rest, uh, since it is the beginning of February, the first episode of February, the second of the month. 
we'll go over some of the um, what I found to be highlights from various publishers of what they are publishing this month. Mostly, mostly new things and finales of things and things that I am just extra excited for for, for certain reasons. Um, there's also the reads for that I've been going through the past week. I will be talking about Sins of Sinister. I, uh, yeah, we'll go over all of that. We have a little rundown as well as a coverage of Sins of Sinister number one. Uh, the only update for Lazarus Planet that I have is the We Were Once Gods. We Once Were Gods. Uh, and then we'll talk a couple other books, namely actually just Harley Quinn and Exterminators. I still have a number of things to catch up on, obviously. Uh, in the shows and movies segment, uh, we have some things that are new and noteworthy that I kind of want to go over briefly. Trailers, to be honest, there's been a ton of trailers. I don't think I have the patience to go through at this point and write a whole thing about all of them to talk about them. So we'll just talk about what I kind of, the general gist of what I got from them. I'm sorry if that's disappointing. That's how it's going to happen today. And as these movies get closer to coming out, I'm sure I have no doubt that um, I'll talk about them more and more as they get closer. I think the next one that's coming is Quantumania. Um, is that this month? I think that might be this month. Whenever it is, uh, we'll be talking about that pretty soon as well. That'll lead us into anime, which I actually have a lot of things I'm excited to talk about in that. I have um, some series that I've been watching and binging things on Crunchyroll over the past couple of months that I have been doing the podcast, and even a little before that because um, I have just embracing my 29-year-old weebness <laughs> that I hid so much when I was, you know, in high school and all that. But yeah. Uh, and also I go through my current watch list and some things that I'm kind of on the fence on. And we'll wrap up the episode talking about Teen Titans season four, part one, uh, part two, I believe is likely coming in April is what the latest theories are. Um, I have not caught up all the way on Doom Patrol season four or the Bad Batch season two. So those will be covered in a later episode. Quickly before we get started here, just a couple of things about uh, the various social medias and whatnot. Please, please do feel free to join the Yancey Street Discord, which is linked at the bottom of each week's episode. Um, it's really just a fun, safe, friendly place to talk about anything that you want. Um, I would love to hear feedback about what people think about what I say about certain things or the things that we cover, what they think about that, I guess is what I'm saying. So definitely go to the Discord to talk about those. We have all the different categories that you could possibly want. Um, so that is all up there. You can find me personally most easily on Instagram. My Instagram is Anna with the comics because my name is Anna and I have a lot of comics. Uh, my Twitter is Savage She Geek. I really don't use that very much. I try to post updates for the podcast there, uh, but I really gets honestly forgotten about. Uh, however, I do have my website, which I would strongly recommend you go into if you at all enjoy the podcast and want to learn more or see more or anything like that. The website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com. Um, I am working on getting it to be its own full site. That is, uh, if you would love to donate towards that, I have all of those links because uh, it is a little bit expensive to do the way that I kind of want to do it. 
But in any case, there is tons of stuff that you can check out on the website, including Beginner's Guide to Reading Comics and Manga. Um, I'm working on adding sections about tarot studies as well as we go over that and more in the podcast. I have a certain amount of reading orders uh, with some amount of commentary on appearances of various uh, female characters, is what they all are, let's be honest, um, that I really love. Um, much of which turns into then the Yancey Street specials, which are the, I do uh, bi-monthly, and this is what I'm doing this year to try and focus on the content of those a little more. The next one that's going to be coming out is going to be Big Barda and Scott Free, a.k.a. Mr. Miracle, uh, who is indisputably the best couple in DC Comics. Last February, I did my Valentine's Day special as uh, most toxic couples in comic books. And so this year, I have to flip that around, and I'm going to be doing the best comic book couple. Yes, that's my cat. Um, and that is, of course, Scott and Barda. I absolutely adore Barda. Her reading list uh, with commentary was the first one that I ever started. It is handwritten, and I am still working on actually, what is the word, transposing those, dude, <laughs> those notes into um, uh, typed on my website. So you can find all kinds of fun stuff like that on there and the specials. Uh, podcast notes if you want to follow along with the episodes, which I keep for anybody who is um, hearing impaired or if it's just easier for you, if you just don't understand me and it's just easier to read it, I totally get that too. All of that and more links to where you can find the podcast. All of that can be found on uh, my website there. I also have a YouTube. Um, it can be found under, uh, you guessed it, Sensational She Geek. I have all of the comic, uh, all of the podcast episodes are all in a playlist if that's easier for you to listen to them on YouTube. And then I do action figure review videos. I just did a whole bunch that I like dumped as a group practically in um, just, I think it was like early mid January. So there's a bunch of new stuff on there if you haven't checked that out in a while. Uh, and I still have at least one video in the works gosh, from like six months ago now that I still just haven't put finished and haven't posted yet. But that one will be, that's going to be uh, the, the Chibi Moon figure, the Chibi Sailor Moon. Um, and so I'll have that up whenever, but there's a whole bunch more stuff that you can check out in there anyway. Um, as for the donation pages, you can find those linked pretty much everywhere across social media and the website. Um, Anything that does get donated to the podcast goes directly to working on the podcast more and not working my, what I call my day job, uh, which is where I actually make money. Uh, the podcast is just a passion project, but if you would like me to work on that more, uh, that's how you would do that. But the best way to support the podcast uh, is just to share it and grow the community. So that would be the best way to do that. And uh rating it actually i heard recently rating is how you get your uh podcast to show up more in searches and in uh results and ad not ads but um suggestions you know things like that so uh do that i would love that thank you very much for doing that and that's the end of my spiel you can move along now 
As I said, we are starting with the obituary somewhat of Lisa Loring, who played the original Wednesday Addams in the original Addams Family TV show, which was black and white and ran from 1964 to 1966. Loring auditioned for the role of Wednesday Adams when she was five years old. Uh, as I was doing a little bit of research on her, I saw a number of interviews and written uh, interviews and whatnot that she spoke about. She was so young that she didn't know how to uh, read or write. And as for the famous dance scene that everybody always knows, and obviously they referenced in the latest uh, iteration of her played by Tina Ortega, which was great. Um, they, she, she said, referencing that dancing, she said that she had no idea where she got that from. She didn't even know how to read or write. She certainly didn't know how to dance. So it was just one of those funny little kid things that she just came up with, which is, I think, is a, a fun little story. She was born Lisa Ann DeSinces, which I'm sure I said wrong, on February 16th, 1958, on, it says, Quajaline. Quajaline. I'm so sorry. I definitely said that wrong as well. In the Marshall Islands, she was the only child of James P. DeSinces, that's no better, who was stationed there with the U.S. Navy and Judith Callies, her mother. I'm not going to even bother trying to say the last name again. Her parents divorced not long after the family moved to Los Angeles when she was still a toddler. She, the character of Wednesday Adams, at least, was based on the spooky but harmless character that Charles Adams created for the series of cartoons that appeared in The New Yorker beginning in 1938. The series focused mostly on Wednesday's parents, Gomez, who is played by John Astin, and Morticia, Carolyn Jones. They were the heads of a zany household that also included Uncle Fester, Grandmama, and Wednesday's brother, Pugsley, as well as a disembodied hand known as The Thing, which pops out of a box. The creator, Charles Adams, said that he named Wednesday after the line in the nursery rhyme, Monday's Child, which I think we all know uh, has been noted many times through the years uh, about the character Wednesday. It notes that Wednesday's child is full of woe. Interestingly, um, and there's other words I will use, but in respect to her, I will not. Um, the actress, Lisa Loring, married for the first time when she was only 15 years old and gave birth to her first child, uh, and then divorced a year later. Yeah, same. I know. <laughs> As for her role as Wednesday, she did reprise the role in a 1977 reunion special, yeah, Halloween with the new Adams Family. Her other television credits include The Girl from Uncle. I didn't know they did a spinoff from The Man from Uncle. That's funny. Fantasy Island and Barnaby Jones. Her film credits include Savage Harbor in 1987, Way Down in Chinatown 2014, and Dr. Spine in 2015, none of which I think I've heard of. In 1980, she was cast as Cricket Montgomery on the CBS soap opera As the World Turns. Lisa Loring's daughter said that her mother's uh, thought of acting as a way of supporting her family as a single mother. Acting was not her love, her daughter Ms. Dominguez said. It was something that happened to her in her life. Loring's first three marriages ended in divorce. Her daughter said that her husband, Graham Rich, died last year. 
Wednesday, as I said, has been reprised twice by two different actresses after Ms. Loring, and that was Christina Ricci, of course, and Jenna Ortega very recently on the Netflix show, which I will talk a little bit about later in the film and TV section. The next bit of news that I would like to go over actually revolves around a just personal little hobby of mine that I've developed since, let's see... I want to say it was the beginning of September <laughs> of 2022. Uh, Disney's Dreamlight Valley is a game that I am completely addicted to. Absolutely bonkers nuts addicted to. Um, especially since they added Stitch. I don't think it's a spoiler at this point. There's he again. Um, especially since they added Stitch, who is one of my favorite Disney creations of all time. Uh, absolutely just cannot help myself. It's it's amazing. Um, the last update that the game went through was Toy Story themed. Honestly, very mediocre in my opinion. I was not a fan of the Toy Story things uh, too much at all. It's fine. Whatever. All I wanted was Stitch from that update, frankly. Uh, but they have announced their next update, uh, as well as the early 2023 content roadmap is what they're calling it. They have a fun little graphic that is, you know, super cute and everything. The next update is going to happen sometime this month. It does not say when, and I am in the Dreamlight Valley Discord, which you can all join as well if you are interested. Um, and they... Uh, pretty much post all of their um, like updates or anything they have there, so that's really easy to follow along with. Um, but this little graphic they made, it's going to be Encanto-themed, is the next update. It looks like the character that they're giving us is uh, the main character, Maribel, I think is her name, if I'm not mistaken. I really wish they would do more uh, classic Disney characters. I really do wish that. Uh, it also says that there is going to be a special snowman, which obviously is going to be Olaf. I genuinely dislike the character of Olaf, so that we'll just have to power through his parts of the game. And then they have a, the star path thing, which is like the special event, which is on the side of the regular game. Um, it's going to be the 100th anniversary of the Disney company, which is probably going to be all kinds of uh, silver-themed things, which is how they're theming that event and anniversary. Uh, then they that'll be, that'll be coming sometime this month. In, in April, it says that they're going to open a new realm, which I think is one of the ones in the castle, um, if I'm not mistaken. And it says that there's going to be new characters arriving. There's a picture of Simba, so I'm guessing it's going to be Lion King related. Um, and then it says the star path is going to be celebrating the Disney parks. Early summer, which I would guess would be May or June, it says that they're going to be doing um, this, unveiling the secret to the forgetting, which is what like the whole plot of the game kicks off with, right? There's that weird little, like, dark blue elf king looking character. I honestly am not sure what he's supposed to be. Makes me think of Peter Pan, sort of. Um, like an evil Peter Pan, if you watched uh, Once Upon a Time. <laughs> I digress. Um, and it looks like we're going to be getting the, uh, what is it, the the Forgotten Lands, the stupid friggin' fires. We're finally going to be figuring out how to get rid of those. It also says a princess races into the valley. Took a minute, but we figured out uh, that that is uh, Vanellope, is that her name, from Wreck-It Ralph? Always forget that she's actually a Disney princess in all technicality. 
Not a big fan. Not a big fan. Can't say that I am. Uh, as for the star path for that one, uh, I don't think they've decided yet. It just says stay tuned for new announcements. And then the last little frame of the graphic they gave says more to come in 2023. I'm interested in the first thing they have on here that says multiplayer. That's pretty cool because everybody has their little valley that they set up in the way that they wanted it to, right? As the game goes along. But there's no real way to show that off um, easily without going into the, like the creation mode and just zooming out. So uh, multiplayer, if it would be like you just can invite a friend to your 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 moment, your your little game space, and show them around how you've done things, that would be pretty awesome. Uh, also, it says characters, realms, clothing and motifs, decorations, and furniture. God, I hope they give more more interesting of decorations and furniture and clothing. <laughs> uh, this it's good, but oh my goodness, it could be way much more, way 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 more. Um, also for characters, gosh darn it, they better do something Beauty and the Beast the uh, in this year. I guess is all I could say for that because Belle has been in I swear every promotional shot for this game, and we have seen zero hints for Belle. Also, yeah, I know. Rapunzel, um, you have her evil stepmother, but not her. Uh, frankly, I think this is a lot about the whole mommy, um, culture having leaked into pretty much everything. Anyway, I do still play the game on, uh, Xbox, um, cloud gaming, I guess is what it is. Um, it's on the, uh, it's free to play on, if you have Xbox Game Pass is what it is. Um, so I've been doing that. I will be crushed when they eventually, I'm sure, take it off of that. But anyway, that's just something that I've been having a lot of fun with, and maybe some of you have as well, or would be interested in it. I don't know. Jokes were in abundance on Twitter and the internet as a whole uh, the past week or two, or whenever it was. They announced the final season of Attack on Titan has <laughs> been finally announced. Uh, lots of jokes. There is, you know, the Dr. Manhattan theme. Uh, I mean, meme. <laughs> theme. Meme about... It's 2018, and they're watching the final. Then they're announcing the final season of Attack on Titan. It's 2020, and they're announcing the final season of Attack on Titan. <laughs> you know, because they, I guess, it's, I guess, season four. It has been the final season, but it's been a whole. It's been split up into a whole bunch of different sections for, I'm sure, animation reasons. Um, Collider had a pretty good article explaining the whole thing, basically. And what they say is, while it might have the name Final Season, the fourth season of the highly acclaimed anime series has been going on for two year, over two years now, with the season being split into multiple parts. Part three of the final season, dubbed the Final Arc, continues the trend of being split into parts, as it has been announced that Attack on Titan, the final season, part three, Final Arc... <laughs> will be split into two halves, with the first half set to return in Japan on March 4th, 2023. That's actually only about a month away, so that's really fun. Um, I, I'm guessing it will be simulcast, or whatever that term is, on Crunchyroll, as they tend to do. Um, and hopefully at some point we'll get the dub not too long after that. So let me get this straight. 
so we split into two halves. So it's going to be Attack on Titan, the final season, part three, final arc, parts one and two. Good God, guys. Could we have <laughs> made that any more complicated? Gush, gush, gosh. Can't even speak. I'm so frazzled by all those names. Um, getting into some of the DC stuff really quick here. Uh, Titans and Doom Patrol have been giving their final season, uh, basically announced that they've been canceled. Is was is the the rough of it. Um, specifically though, they have been given apparently full complete endings to their current seasons. So that's what the skinny is on those. I think we all saw that coming actually. So. Not very surprising. I'm really upset about um, Young Justice, which I believe, I'm not sure if that's been officially cancelled or if that's still in limbo, uh, but based on what's uh, came later on just a couple of days ago, I don't think it's happening, which is unfortunate because they were setting up some great stuff with the female furies. James Gunn on social media insists that the cancellation or endings of those shows wasn't his call. And I just keep going back around to, then what is your job, head of everything? <laughs> Whatever. Now, let's go ahead and get right into, uh, I believe it was the 31st of January, they announced the DCU slate. Let's jump right into that. The official statements really uh, kind of go something like, DC Studios co-chairman slash co-CEOs James Gunn and Peter Safran have announced their first wave of projects that will officially break in the regime over the DCU franchise. This new era of DC storytelling on the big screen will succeed the reign of former DC Studios president Walter Hamada, which is about to become it was about to come to its last minute end. That's funny. With the release of the final four DCU Good God, Kat. DCU films not associated with James Gunn and Peter Safran, Shazam Fury of the Gods, The Flash, Blue Beetle, and Aquaman and The Lost Kingdom. So that's like the the intro to all of this, I guess. Um I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. It's called DCU Chapter 1, Gods and Monsters. I, I I am not a big fan of that. Gods and Monsters is a great title. But the fact that they're copying almost beat for beat uh, what the MCU has done to be successful or in their success, I guess, um, is, is quite exhausting. It's exhausting. Uh, it's extremely tiring as a fan and somebody who was expecting or hoping for, at the very least, something uh, fresh and new, uh, which is really, in a certain way, what the MCU was at the time. It was a superhero universe that worked, <laughs> you know? Um, I might be among the minority. I don't know when I say that I don't care if these movies and TV shows and things connect. I really, really don't. Not in the slightest. Uh, I would honestly kind of prefer it if they did, and all I really want are good projects that aren't full of... I would really love to say aren't full of scandal, but honestly, I'm not sure if that's even possible in this day and age. Um... Th th that are just nice. That are, that are fun to watch. Um, you know, I just want things that are good in their own feet. 
they don't need to lean on all these other things to tie together into this big intricate web of a universe and god just saying that sounds exhausting and i know that you know you could say the same thing about the mcu i guess but that <laughs> kind of just happened it worked and so they kept doing it um my cat is still being absolutely there's two of them the other one is being very good he's just He's standing on the window ledge right now. Oh my god. Anyway, um, I feel like the blatant, almost one-to-one -one copying of the modern MCU format is not the way to start a new, somewhat, let's say, we can imagine it'll be somewhat connected universe. I don't think that's really the way to go, because I feel like that's what they were trying to do with like the Snyder stuff, and we see how that panned out. Nope, none, none of that really worked out. Nobody's happy with that. <laughs> I don't think. Even the Snyder fans aren't happy with how it turned out, and they kind of got what they wanted in the end, sort of, you know? My opinion aside, let's go through what these projects are. I took these synopses from, I don't remember what website. It's linked in the Discord um, so if you're in the Discord or if you join the Discord, you will see it there. I'm trying to get my thing back up here. There it is. Um, so I'm just going to go over what their synopses were, which is, I think is a slightly off than what the official one is. I'll just tell you right now, I could not, for the life of me, even fathom watching that video of James Gunn speaking. I don't know if the other dude Peter Safran was in it. I honestly couldn't tell you. Because all I saw on the internet anywhere were the thumbnails of James Gunn and his stupid bleached white hair, which I cannot take for the life of me seriously. Because I figured out the other day that the way that he spikes his hair like that is because if he tried to put it into a quote-unquote normal haircut... He would look absolutely, I mean, he does look kind of stupid, I'm sorry, but I'm just, I'm getting way off track. My point was, I could not, you, you would have to pay me, you would have to pay me a lot of money for me to sit through and watch that video and listen to his stupid voice and watch his stupid face. I'm sorry, I just do not like James Gunn very much at all as a person. I will try to uh, separate my distaste for him as a person from this slate of things that are coming um but i will not hold back the things that i do not think will work but i will tell you what i think will work so let's get started here it's gonna be a rocky ride uh superman legacy is the first one they have listed here the general synopsis being it will be the start of the dcu but it will not be an origin story for superman it's gonna follow the younger days of clark kent as he balances his crime fighting days while working also as a journalist at the daily planet gunn is writing the script we kind of already knew that because he can't shut up on twitter and peter safran safran hopes Gun to direct as well. I feel like that is just really weird, but okay. Uh, the way they phrase that in this article, the director is yet to be officially decided. Although it's, we all know it's probably going to be James Gunn. Uh, Superman Legacy will lead into the next DCU film, The Authority, and also its release date will be. For some reason, they already have July 11th, 2025. Um, there are some horrific fan casts horrific <laughs> um like timothy chalamet as young clark kent you you have you what i'm sorry no N no <laughs> for many reasons no um but yeah let's move on to the authority 
in general, one that I uh, might be very excited for. We'll see how it kind of goes, because whoever wrote this synopsis did not have the right idea of uh, comics culture, um, or at least even um, current events in comics. Uh, but the synopsis for The Authority, it says, The second film, the DCU... The introduction of the authority, they are a team of superheroes with less than idealistic approach to saving the world. They were first introduced under Wildstorm imprint at DC Comics in 1999. Skipping over a few things that they wrote here, because it is poorly written. Uh, blah, 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 tied in with Stormwatch, and it is currently being written by a mystery writer. There's a couple different ways that they could take an authority team. Um, I, this particular uh, article that this was from credits and claims that it's going to be the Warren Ellis team, that man's name should not be said with any amount of grace, uh, being the person who pretty much kicked off the comic book industry Me Too movement single-handedly. Um... <laughs> And also, if you've reread some of his stuff from back then, it is really not that good at all. I digress even further. Um, the thing that really interests me about the authority is that we may be getting, I would honestly say it would surprise me quite a bit um, if we didn't get uh, the at this point what might be, I don't know, at that point what might be uh, one of the first male superhero couples. Males. Did I say that right? Yeah, male, male, gay, obviously gay couples. Um, their names are Apollo and Midnighter. They are super cool as a dynamic, uh, as a binary duo, I guess, in a sense, because of their... Obviously, their powers are one thing, their personalities are another thing. Uh, I would say their personalities and their appearances are the most binary thing. Uh, you have Midnighter, who is very much like a kind of violent Batman take, but, you know... Obviously, there's a number of differences, and then, but but physically looks very much like a kind of dark and broody character. Uh, and then you have Apollo, who wears pretty much white and gold, and kind of glows, I believe, if I do recall. Um, and is I'm not one hundred percent certain his history, but um, he 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 kind of follows that up with his personality as well. But they're a very interesting binary couple to me for that, for those reasons. Um, but they could be, most likely will be making appearances in the uh, Authority Project as characters from the Authority for many years now. Um, almost more interesting to me than that is the most recent, if I'm not mistaken, Authority Projects that we've had were kicked off by uh, the one, the only, the brilliant Grant Morrison, who uh, we know as the uh, non-binary Scottish genius, right? Their Authority series, I believe, was only four issues, but it had, I think, Mikhail Jane in art, which is just stunning as ever. Um, and the team was super cool. It was obviously Superman. But the thing about it, I could go off on this for a tangent for a while. I definitely encourage you to look up Grant Morrison's Superman and the Authority and the ideas that went into it and why Superman is old and has gray hair on the sides and his suit is different. 
this was supposed to be a completely different um, kind of series that was going to be leading out of or into or something tying in with Future State. And he was going to be the Superman, the Clark Kent of Future State, this much older um, thing. And he even there's even parts of the series where bits of that remain, where you have him mentioning things about talking with Kennedy. You know, he had to he had he was involved with the assassination of Kennedy back in the day. And so this this Grant Morrison Superman in this is very much an older, wiser Superman. So that's the first really interesting thing about it. You have characters like Steel, uh, the female Steel, who is the new generation, and then you have uh, Enchantress, who, if you don't know about Enchantress in the DC Comics universe, is absolutely nothing like what we saw in Suicide Squad, uh, the first one, I guess. Um, Apollo and Midnighter were on that team. There were a couple other characters, and then Manchester Black was also on that team, who, if I am not mistaken, is a queer magician of sorts. Um, extreme, if you couldn't guess from the name, extremely British. I, uh... Couldn't tell you too much more detail about him. His hair is pink, and he is kind of like your, uh, I guess, queer Constantine in attitude. Really, really brilliant dynamic alongside Superman and the other characters of the series. Um, my point of saying all of this is that if they're going to be doing an authority, I would be extremely, especially an authority, including a Superman, young as though he may be, I would be extremely interested in... Uh, them taking quite as much inspiration as they want from Grant Morrison's Superman and the Authority. Another Grant Morrison project they're going to be pulling from is going to come from the movie The Brave and the Bold. The synopsis we have for this one says it's going to be a Batman film focusing on his relationship with Robin, who will be the fifth incarnation of the character, specifically Damian Wayne, instead of Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, or Jason Todd. It says this will be a new iteration of Batman entirely separate from Robert Pattinson and Ben Affleck's take on the character. The film is said to be heavily inspired inspired by Grant Morrison's comic run and the cape on the Cape Crusader, as well as Tom King's. The Brave and the Bold will lead into the next DCU film, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, which we'll talk about in a second. First, I want to talk a bit about The Brave and the Bold. Uh, we mentioned Grant Morrison and their fantastic brain previously. Now, their run on, uh, I believe it was Batman and Robin, I want to say, it was the Damian Wayne and... Dick Grayson, Batman and Robin. It was Dick Grayson, Batman, Damian Wayne, Robin, and is, I'm pretty sure, <laughs> indisputably loved and a really fantastic run. The fact that they are specifically saying the Robin in this is going to be Damian and it is going to take partially or heavily inspired by that Grant Morrison run uh, makes me think that the Batman we're going to be getting is going to be different, not just because he's a different actor, but because he is not going to be Bruce Wayne. Um, with that in mind, they said they're also going to be taking heavy inspiration from Tom King's run, which is the Batman run that I have enjoyed the most. I have a really hard time getting into Batman comics, and that one I did not have a hard time at all getting into. Um, Tom King's run obviously is strictly Bruce Wayne as Batman. However, there is a lot of focus on the Bat family, um, in large part due to his ensuing engagement and marriage to Catwoman. Um, 
is it too much for me to ask for all of it? Um, is it too much for me to ask for Dick Grayson, Batman, Damian Wayne, Robin, plus, 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 plus Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle as a married couple with their daughter, perhaps Helena? Because remember, Tom King's Batman run pretty much, I mean, not pretty much, it did wrap up with the 12-issue Batman Catwoman series. Um, I, I would love that. Is that too much to ask for absolutely everything? Or do you think that they're going to take from more one or the other um, as far as characters and leads for it go? I don't know. I don't know. But again, speaking of Tom King, that leads us into Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow. Uh, it says the first, uh, the general synopsis says the first solo film of Superman's cousin, Kara Zor-El, a.k.a. Supergirl. The film will be based on Tom King's rung of the same name from 2021 and 2022. It says James Gunn describes this version of Supergirl, quote, much more hardcore. A couple of thoughts. Now, a couple of thoughts. Um, starting with the Tom King series part of it and getting into the James Gunn part of it. <laughs> um, so the Tom King series part of it, obviously, if you have not read Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, I highly recommend it. It is wonderful. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to say her name right. I probably won't, but the artist is Bilquis Evely. I have no doubt I said absolutely brutally there, uh, but she is a, a I want to say French artist um uh absolutely phenomenal style um intricate and shining and just beautiful but the story is not told from Kara Zor-El Supergirl's perspective it's told from the perspective of a young girl who she ends up helping through the case through the course of the series. And knowing Tom King, you should be able to expect that it is a very thought-provoking, a very, you know, internally conflicted, um, lots of mirroring of sim symbolism in the, the actions of what's happening and the feelings and the emotion and the uh, you know, all that kind of stuff that Tom King is really known for is through and through all through that series. Um, and then when it ends, of course, Kara gets uh, her new outfit, which I think was designed beautifully. Um, and they, I think they did just a really phenomenal job on that from tip to tail. Uh, but I, I, I am greatly concerned about this project um, strictly because of James Gunn. Um, now this is not a great example. Um, I'm pulling it up here for my own reference. It's really not a great example, but it's the example that I have, um, about my concern about, uh, James Gunn. And honestly, the fact that he straight up calls it a quote, much more hardcore version of Supergirl. Um, yikes, freaking yikes, dude, that is not a good sign in the slightest. Uh, let me, let me explain here. So when he was working on Guardians, I want to say it's volume two, he put this character in Alita, um, who I randomly came across at one point in my comics research. Um, I was going to do like a whole thing on her and then I decided not to when I saw her MCU take. Uh, Alita in the comics, uh, you know, blonde hair, doesn't matter, all that stuff. What matters is the fact that she is like this shining, she wears these shiny metal gold boots 
and gloves and this shiny uh, black leotard with covered in stars, just glitzy, you know. Uh, and he he has her in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. You would never know it um, because he he uh, it's the Michelle Yeoh character where she has the like super grunge greasy hair pulled in front of her face when they're doing the goodbye to um you know what's his name as he gets his space funeral you know um and she's they're just wearing these like space army ravager outfits they just look like ravagers and <laughs> it's really disappointing because how cool could that character have looked with the shiny gold boots and everything, how awesome would that have been? Nope. Just made her this emo grunge chick. So, yeah. That basically, I think, summarizes my my concern <laughs> with James Gunn having anything to do with this project uh, and him describing her as much more hardcore. Because if you've read that series also, you will know that that is not a hardcore... I mean... When you think hardcore, you think like, yeah, heavy metal. I think his definition of that might be slightly different than what we are all generally thinking. I don't know. Um, hardcore, yes, she is hardcore. She's intense and she's brutal. But she's not like a punk. She's not like hard rock. And... No, please don't do that to Supergirl. Don't make her the... The 90s Supergirl with chains and cutoffs and whatever. No, that's my concern. Moving on to Swamp Thing. Uh, obviously, they've attempted to do the Swamp Thing projects before. Now they're going to be doing a movie. Um, this is Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, of course, created the character. And it says it is described to dive deeper into horror than any other DCU project. That's That's fine. Uh, they also announced two Elseworlds projects that are still around, uh, one of them being the, sec the sequel to the Matt Reeves' The Batman, which they announced the title to. Very, very creative. I'm sure a lot of thought went into it. It is The Batman Part 2. Wow! So I guess they're officially calling these Elseworlds projects as well. Um... Which is what makes me think that the other ones that are not Elseworlds are going to be pretty heavily connected, which I don't want! But that's kind of life, I guess. Um, and it says, much anticipation of the Batman, yes, Matt Reeves is once again directing and is currently writing the script. Yes, I think we all know that. Release date, October 3rd, 2025. Wow, okay. Uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates' Black Superman film, they say, it's probably going to be... Um, uh, Val Zod is the, uh, is the character who is, like, the Kryptonian. There's a couple different ways they could do it, but, yeah, the Tahiti Coates, um, Superman project, whatever that is going to be, is also considered one of their Elseworlds projects, and that's going to be released. For some reason, the date also says October 3rd, 2025. I feel like that's just an error on their part. And then you have, those are all the, the, the films that they're planning um, the movies, and then you have the HBO Max shows, which they're going to be doing, which there are one, two, three, four, five. The first of which is Paradise Lost. It says it's a Game of Thrones-inspired fantasy series set on Themyscira before the birth of Wonder Woman. The show will tell the origin of the Amazon's all-female culture and society. That sounds god-awful, I'm not going to lie. Um, game, I'm sorry, no, that just sounds bad, I'm sorry. I, 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 I don't think I need to explain that. 
Uh, Waller is another one. This is basically um, James Gunn trying to get his wife to ride the coattails of the wonderful Viola Davis. Um, the It says a spinoff series following the mysterious schemes of Amanda Waller following the events of Peacemaker. Funny how that's the one project that ends up getting left behind and not cancelled. Wow. Funny how that works. Anyway, moving on, uh, Booster Gold is another show that they announced this one could potentially be absolutely hilarious. It says, as the synopsis, the small screen introduction of the self-absorbed and time-traveling hero from the future, Michael John Carter, a.k.a. Booster Gold, first introduced to DC Comics by writer Dan Jurgens in 1986. The series is described to be a comedy, as Gunn describes the character, like quote, imposter syndrome as a superhero. That sounds much more sad than Booster Gold really is, although Tom King did write quite a phenomenal um, arc, I believe, in his Batman run. It was his Batman run, uh, and I believe it was somewhat tied into Heroes in Crisis. Great series, absolutely fantastic. Um, and that dealt a lot with Booster Gold. Um... I would hope that this would come a lot from that arc, uh, from the Tom King stuff as well. Clearly they like the Tom King stuff, so I would love for them to pull from that as well. I'm not super familiar with other Booster Gold. Um, I think he was in some animated stuff for a while, but that's obviously not gonna be connected. Um, if you are not familiar with Booster Gold, the best description of him that I've ever seen was that he is a... A uh, rich guy from the future who stole some tech uh, from the future and went to the past so that he could be a superhero because he didn't have anything going for him in the future. I'm not sure if he was rich, but he stole some tech from the future and came to the past uh, so that he could be a superhero because he wasn't amounting to anything in his future life. Creature Commandos. The general synopsis is a team of military superhumans, including a vampire, werewolf, and Frankenstein's monster fight Nazis in World War II. It will be the first of DCU's animated series. The first DCU animated series. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of jokes about DC people trying to figure out what the heck is Creature Commandos as they you know, move forward with their jobs. Because uh, this is not something that's been relevant probably since the 60s. Um, one of these weird, obscure things that James Gunn or Peter Safran probably like loved as a child, and so they want to bring it back and make it success successful. Um, obviously, Marvel is already working on similar projects. Um, they've already put out uh, Werewolf by Night, which was a little bit similar to this. Um, and if we're going to talk about how they're kind of mimicking the Marvel template now, like one-to-one, -one, let's look at this again, because now, now we're talking animated, right? We had all these films, okay. We've got some shows now, too, okay. And there's an animated show. That's, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's one-to-one -one <laughs> copying what Marvel has done. Whatever. The last one on here uh, is Lanterns. It says it is a detective-like mystery series, a uh, Green Lantern detective-like mystery series featuring both Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart. The two titular heroes will investigate a mystery that will tie together the larger DCU story seen in the films. God damn it. The main inspiration for the series is said to be True Detective, with Lanterns aiming to be, quote, a huge HBO quality event. This project has officially replaced the Green Lantern HBO Max show that was being developed by Greg Berlanti. 
that's well in unless they're gonna put all of those characters who they had announced were gonna be in that show in this lantern show, it will never ever ever be as good as that one could have been. Because let's let's recall you have uh two white lanterns, if not three, um no, two white lanterns who are gay, that's right. You had, I believe they were doing the Latino lantern. They were also doing one of the only female lanterns and the Muslim lantern. How are you going to say that Hal Jordan's stupid ass and John Stewart, who actually is pretty good, John Stewart can't carry a show on himself, I don't think, if Hal Stewart's dragging it down. And I don't know how they're not going to make Hal Stewart drag it down. That is one of the most <laughs> cookie-cutter characters in the fucking universe. I'm sorry. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and that's why the other series wasn't going to focus on him and do the kind of more interesting characters. Uh, nope. And yes, it is possible that saying that it's going to be a true detective style series, so season one could focus on them and season two could focus on other lanterns. I would love that. I don't think they're going to do that, but I would love that. Also, the fact that it's going to tie in everything else together is just like, mm, I... We just wanted a good Green Lantern series or movie. It didn't have to tie into a whole thing. It didn't have to lean on anything else. It just had to be good. But anyway, uh, that's that's it for the DCU slate. Uh, now that we've gone over that for like half an hour. Uh, uh, and we'll talk more about things as we learn them, so... This week's tarot studies is continuing the introduction to tarot that we began last week, and we are going to focus a lot on... Uh, the history of tarot here, going through a few noteworthy points in tarot history. Now, I have a note here, uh, after I was doing all this research, I kind of realized something, and so the note is regarding that. There is a distinct point in history where tarot studiers and creators began adding and theorizing that tarot has had origins in ancient Egypt. There is absolutely no historical coverage at all to confirm this. The only thing that brought those ideas forward were the events of the era that these uh, tarot studiers and creators were from. And that was sudden interest publicly in ancient Egypt, uh, British and European Egyptologists, as they love to call themselves if, if they weren't, going in, scavenging, and basically taking what they thought was cool and relevant, etc. The period is marked by now what we call the Egyptian Revival, all because of those historical discoveries in the continent of Africa that captured the interests of the entire world and still do. The symbols of human nature are eternal. That is the only connection that Tarot has to ancient Egypt. And the timing. Uh, people were really into ancient Egypt, and then they heard about this tarot thing, and it doesn't take too much thought to realize that they, uh, where their trains of thought were going, because uh, they it would have been really easy to connect those kinds of eternal, undeniable human symbols of just life and existence. Also, there's going to be a lot of mention of various so-called secret societies, we will not be getting into that anytime soon uh, unless there is any great interest because, boy, there is a lot of real-life lore about all of that, plus rumors and God knows what else. So uh, getting into the history itself, we're going to start with the somewhat original tarot deck. That is the Tarot de Marseille. Marseille? Marseille? 
I'm sure I'm saying it somewhat wrong. The Tarot of Marseille is a standard pattern of Italian suited tarot pack with 78 cards that was very popular in France in the 17th and 18th centuries for playing tarot card games and is still produced today. It was probably created in Milan before spreading to much of France, Switzerland, and northern Italy. It was the pack which led to the occult use of tarot cards, although today bespoke cards are produced for this purpose. Research by Michael Dumet and others demonstrates that the tarot pack was probably invented at or near Ferraria in northern Italy in... I couldn't even take myself seriously saying it like that. In northern Italy in the early 15th century and introduced into southern France when the French conquered Milan and the Piedmont in 1499. The antecedents of the Tarot de Marseille would have, would have been then introduced into southern France around that time. The 78-card version of the game of Tarot died out in Italy but survived in France and Switzerland. When the game was reintroduced into northern Italy, the Marseille design of the cards were reintroduced with it. All Italian-suited card decks outside of Italy are descendant of the Milan-Marseille type, with the exception of some early French and Belgian packs which show mixed influence from Bolognese tarot, uh, which I don't think I ever got to writing about, uh, but it is the earliest The earliest surviving cards of the Marseille pattern were produced by Jean Noble of Paris, or Noble of Paris, around the year 1650. The Tarot de Marseille is one of the standards from which many tarot decks of the 19th century were later devised. The founder of tarot readings was Antoine Court de Gebelin. Gebelin. Jebelin, probably. Antoine Court, who later named himself Antoine Court de Jebelin, who lived from uh, in the mid to late 1700s in France. He was a former Protestant pastor born in Nimes, who initiated the interpretation of the tarot as an arcane repository of timeless esoteric wisdom in the year 1781. De Gebelin wrote an essay, Gebelin wrote an essay included in his Le Monde Primatif. Wow, a bunch of stuff that I'm not going to try and pronounce in French, but it means the primeval world analyzed and compared to the modern world. The chapter he wrote on tarot, with which his name is inevitably associated, is a single section in his vast compendium that he published in the series from 1773 to a distinguished list of su subscribers, which was headed, apparently, by Louis VIII. Is that eighth? Louis the No, 14th of France. I knew that. It was his immediate perception at the time of which, uh, the first time he saw the tarot deck, that it held the secrets, here you go, of the Egyptians. Writing without the benefit of Champollion's deciphering of the Egyptian language, Court de Gebelin developed a reconstruction of tarot history without producing any historical evidence, which was that Egyptian priests had distilled the ancient distilled the ancient book of Thoth with these images, into these images. These brought to Rome, these they brought to Rome, where they were secretly known to the popes who brought them to Avignon in the 14th century, whence they were introduced to France. That's ridiculous. An essay by the Comte de Millet, included in the Court de Jeblin's uh, book, basically, is responsible for the mystical connection of the tarot's 21 trumps and the fool with the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. An essay appended to to this gave suggestions for cartomancy. Within two years, the fortune teller known as Italia, which is uh, 
I believe comes up next, published a technique for reading the tarot, and the practice of tarot reading was born. Oh, we have one more, and then we'll get to Italia. Actually, I think I'll do Italia first, and then we'll go back. That makes sense historically. Uh, so the, the first professional tarot divinator was Italia. So Italia was the pseudonym of Jean-Baptiste Alliette, who lived in, again, the mid to late 1700s. He was the French occultist and tarot researcher who was the first to develop an interpretation concept for the tarot cards and made a significant contribution to the esoteric development of the tarot cards to a wide audience. And therefore, the first professional tarot occurred cultist known to history who made his living by tarot card divination. In 1789, he published his own tarot deck, which, however, differed significantly from the classo tarot such as Tarot de Marseille in terms of structure and card designations. Uh, I'm not going to try and read what his tarot deck was called in French, uh, but it was a discourse on the usage of no, his writing on the cards was a discourse on the usage of regular playing cards, and it features included the spread or disposition on the table and strictly assigned meanings to each card in regular and in reversed positions, which is to this known standard now ways of reading the cards and characteristics that are still central to tarot divination today. In his preface, Italia explained that he had learned the system from an Italian, and it remains unclear to what extent his assigned symbology was his own contribution or something he learned from this mysterious other person. There is no evidence to support the notion that tarot has Egyptian lineage, but influenced by Jebelin, who we talked about previously, Italia responded with another book, uh, something else in French, that means way to recreate yourself with a deck of cards called tarot in 1783, which was only a few about eight years before he died. It was the first book of methods of divination by tarot. In the book, Italia claimed that he had been introduced to the art of cartomancy in 17. 51, long before the appearance of Court de Gibelin's work. Who knows how much of that is true or how much of it is him trying to sound professional and like he knew it before this other guy. Now, most common modern decks are based, if not strictly taken from, the Rider Waite Smith tarot deck. Based on the instructions of academic mystic A.E. Waite and illustrated by Pamela Coleman Smith, both members of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, there's one of those fun cult thingies for you, the cards were originally published by the Ryder Company in 1909. The deck had been published in numerous editions, has been published in numerous editions, and has inspired a wide array of variants and imitations. It is estimated that more than 100 million copies of the deck exist in more than 20 countries. While the images are simple, the details and backgrounds feature abundant symbolism. Some imagery remains similar to that found in earlier decks, but overall the Waitsmith card designs are subtly or sorry, substantially, <laughs> very wrong, substantially different from their predecessors. Christian imagery was removed from the cards and added to others. For example, the papess became the high priestess and no longer features a papal tiara, while the lover's card, previously depicted a medieval arcana, is illustrated with allegorical scenes by Smith, where earlier decks... Oh, I skipped a line. The lover's card previously depicted <laughs> depicting a medieval scene of a cloth man uh, and woman receiving a blessing from a noble or cleric was changed to depict the depiction of naked Adam and Eve in the in the Garden of Eden. 
and the Ace of Cups featuring a dove carrying sacramental bread. The Minor Arcana is illustrated with allegorical scenes by Smith, where earlier decks, with a few rare exceptions, had simple designs for the Minor Arcana. The symbols and imagery used in the deck were influenced by 19th century magician and occultist Eliphas Levi, as well as the teachings of the Hermetic, Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. In order to accommodate the astrological com correspondences taught by the Golden Dawn, Waite introduced several innovations to the deck. He switched the order of the Strength and Justice cards so that Strength corresponded with Leo and Justice with Libra. He also based the Lover's card on Italian tarot decks, which have two persons and an angel to reinforce its correspondence with Geminis. Moving on to Paul Christian, um, this is where things get a little bit odd. The Terror of Paul Christian uh, is a book and tarot deck created around 1870 at the latest. It's theorized it was actually quite earlier, heavily based on Egyptian ideas. The major arcana strongly resembles that of the Thoth deck created by Crowley and Harris, which we'll talk about kind of a little bit in a second here. The word tarot never appears in this text and the images described are called arcana and are actually frescoes in legendary ancient underground temple in Egypt. Um, I'm not sure how true the temple frescoes are, but there are some links that I'll put in the notes that you can find. So look more into that if you're interested. Now, the first initiatory desk deck of tarot was made by Oswald Wirth. Uh, he lived from the late 1860s to the mid-1900s. He was a Swiss occultist, artist, and author. He settled at, studied esotericism and symbolism with Stanislas de Guetta. Pardon me. In 1989, he created, under the guidance of de Guetta, a cartomantic tarot consisting only of 22 major arcana. Uh, it followed the designs of the Tarot de Marseille closely, but introduced several alterations incorporating extant occult symbolism into the cards. The Worth de Guetetec is significant in, his, in the history of Tarot for being the first in a long line of occult, cartomantic, and initiatory decks. Briefly, talking of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn to explain the mentions that we've had of them, it's too complicated to get too much into right now, but basically they were, slash are, I'm not sure, um, super into astrology, numbers, symbols, etc. Very, very obsessed with, uh, with the different art and symbolism of ancient Egyptian culture and um, writings. Now, Coming out of that is the Book of Thoth, who was written by Alec Crowley. His name was Alec. He changed it to Alistair, and he was extremely anti-queer, so he does not get those allowances of the name. Uh, Alec Crowley, it says, Comte de Millet, who first called tarot cards the Book of Thoth, and crucially claimed that the Egyptians used the cards for fortune-telling and described what purported to be their method of divination. Um, those are the, They were the two who worked on that. Uh, it's it's all um, supposed tied into this Egyptian stuff, which historically is wild and accurate. Uh, so take it all how you will. Um, that ends our kind of history lesson for tarot, at least for the for the week. Um, we'll see if we end up getting any more in the future. But let's go ahead and move along to the major arcana, which is 22 cards from 0 to 21. I have the traditional names based on the Rider-Waite-Smith deck. 
um, of the cards and their basic, extremely basic meanings here. Um, and then next week we'll start card of the week with number zero, the hermit. Sorry, fool. <laughs> um, I wrote it wrong there. But the fool, uh, the fool stands for new beginnings, free spirit, and novice. Card number one is the magician, manifestation, inventive, and powerful. The high priestess is card number two, mystic, divine lady, and intuition. Number three, the empress, feminism, nurturing, generous. Number four, the emperor, stability, order, fatherly figure, authority. Five, the hierophant, higher wisdom, spirituality, tradition. The Lovers is number six, love, mutual relationships, choices, passion. Number seven, the Chariot, control, dominance, progress. Number eight, strength, courage, power, affection, impression. Number nine, the Hermit, solitude, self-introspection, inner calling. Number ten, the Wheel of Fortune, good luck, destiny, breakthrough. Eleven, justice, fairness, balance, law, justice. 12, The Hanged Man, New Perspective, Surrender, and Pause. 13, Death, End of Phase, Change, Transformation. 14, Temperance, Patience, Motive, Balance, Moderation. 15, The Devil, Destruction, Obsession, Addiction, Power Loss. 16, The Tower, Demolition, Release, Sudden Change. 17, The Star, Hope, Goals, Renewal, Faith. 18, the moon, deceit, subconscious, intuition, dreams. 19, the sun, success, joy, happiness, and wellness. 20, judgment, inner voice, absolution, new phase, revival. And 21, the world, celebration, joy, fulfillment, and travel. Now you can see based on the cards and their brief descriptions, which can be fairly broad, you can see how it's very easy to get something from picking a random card, no matter what the card is going to be, if you are mulling something over, um, no matter what that kind of is. So you can understand, I hope, now you're starting to get the picture of how, regardless of um, how others may use the tarot cards, you can really use them however they work for you. You don't need to believe in anything, really. We do not have a card of the week. As I said, we're going to start with the Fool next week, card number zero, and we're going to make our way through the Major Arcana. Um, I will also, every time we hit a new card every week, I will also be going over the different names that they could be known as. Uh, just off the top of my head, I know the Hanged Man on some decks is known as the Hanged One to be more... Um, to be less binary, I guess. Um, so we'll go over those different names and po potential different meanings that they have on different decks and the course that what the what the Rider Waite Smith deck, I suppose, corresponds to uh, the cards of different decks. So we'll compare all that stuff. Uh, I will be using the Natasha Iglesias anime tarot deck to go through these because I have found that one to be the best teaching tool and learning tool of all of the different decks that I have. I also have um, some pretty intensive study materials that I may or may not pull out from my bookshelf to go over for the cards as we go through them. If you are interested in getting the anime tarot deck, it has brought me endless joy. Um, it is from Sh Simon & Schuster. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. All kinds of stuff. 
And that leaves us with the deck of the month. As it is the beginning of February, we're going to start off with a our first deck of the month, which is going to be the Modern Witch Tarot deck uh, by Lisa Sterl, with a forward by Vita Ayala, who is a comic name you may recognize. Lisa Sterl actually has done a good amount of comic work, which I will cover um, a little bit in just a minute. I wasn't really sure what to say about the deck. It's fairly basic um, as far as taking from directly from the Rider-Waite-Smith deck um, and kind of making it into a theme. Uh, and I wasn't really sure how to, to talk about it, so I took three different descriptions of it from different websites. I have from the Lisa Stero website, the Liminal 11 website, which is the publisher they come from, and I highly recommend you check them out, and from the reseller Barnes & Noble's website. So Lisa Sterl's site says, Tarot has never looked more sophisticated and contemporary. Acclaimed illustrator Lisa Sterl mar marries the symbolism of the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith deck with youthful, stylish characters and system and items from our modern lives. With its diversity and all-female celebration of womanhood, this vibrant, fashion-forward, and colorful deck brings fun and fresh air to the tarot. Luminal Eleven says, Modern Witch Tarot is a magical take on traditional tarot symbolism inspired by fashion and modern witches from every walk of life. Spark your imagination, seek your inner wisdom, and discover your true power. Barnes & Noble says, The strength of traditional tarot symbols combined with diverse bodies, up-to-the-minute fashion, and strength and power of 21st century witchcraft, where we make our own magic. The 78 cards of the tarot deck are rich with meaning. Archetypes like the magician, the empress, and the chariot reflect our lived experiences and are a mirror into the ways in which we interact with the world. Acclaimed artist Lisa Sterl takes these symbols into contemporary life, and sell and with vibrant art that celebrates the diversity, excitement, and energy of the new kind of magic that is happening in this world. The Modern Witch Tarot deck is the answer to your questions about the past, the present, and whatever the future may hold, and its empowering messages will help you take the next step toward whatever you desire. Oh, how good. Lisa Sterl herself has had quite a little career in comics, starting in, it looks like, about 2018. She's done covers, interiors, has co-created, and has done contributing art on anthologies. Uh, starting with uh, oh, her own website description of herself, Lisa Sterl is the illustrator creator of the iconic best-selling Modern Witch Tarot deck, which has been featured in the New York Times, Vogue Italia, and Cosmopolitan. She is also the co-creator and artist of the monthly comic Witchblood, Squad, Long Lost, and Submerged. She has worked with HarperCollins, Penguin Random House, DC, IDW, Image, Boom Studios, and many others. For her comic covers, she has done Buffy the Vampire Slayer number 16 from Boom Studios, Vampironica New Blood number 4 from Archie Comics, Crowed number 10 from Image, Going to the Chapel number 1 from Action Lab, Return to Whisper number 1 from Vault, Snap Flash Hustle number 1 from Black Mask. Her interiors can be seen on. Uh, the 2019 Glow Summer Special from IDW, Deadbeats Anthology from A Wave Blue World, You Died Anthology from Iron Circus Comics, and Steven Universe Camp Pining Play OGN from Boom Studios. I guess that's an interesting title. She was a contributing artist on the Hey Amateur Anthology from Black Crown, 
Synergy, a Hasbro's creator showcase from IDW, Destiny New York Volume 2 from Space Between Entertainment. Finally, they are co-creator on Submerged from Vault Comics with Vita Ayala, and Long Lost on from Scout Comics with Matthew Ehrman. Getting into the weeb category with manga and our manga of the week, as I mentioned previously, it is My Dress Up Darling, which... Uh, I decided to do because I'm actually waiting for the delivery of volume, what is it, 7, I want to see? Yeah, volume 7 is out for delivery. It's going to be arriving in my mailbox, hopefully within the next few hours, and I will read that bitch. I'm so excited. Um, it's really good. We'll talk a little bit more about it as we get into it. But in Japanese, the name is Hepburn Sono Bisuku Doro Wakaoi O Soru. I'm sorry. But it translates into that Bisque doll falls in love. Uh, to explain all of that, the term Hepburn, which is for some reason also there, um, I had to look up actually, it, is, it refers to Hepburn romanticization. Oh, romanization. I, oh my god, I totally read that as a romanticization. Romanization, uh, known as Hibon Shiki in Japanese, is a way to write Japanese using the Roman alphabet. Named after James Curtis Hepburn, who did not actually invent the system. It was invented by a Japanese organization called Romanji Kai in 1885. I will have a link in the notes with more information if you care about that. Uh, Bisque doll, or Bisque doll, I'm honestly not sure which one it is, is a porcelain doll or a doll made partially or wholly out of bisque or biscuit porcelain. Most Japanese beast dolls were made between the 1910s and 1930s. They are not necessarily a rare collector's item. They're also known as Nippon dolls, and you can find a link for that also in the notes if you want to learn more. There's a whole website called nipponcollectorsclub.com. More information than I think anybody, not anybody, but uh, I could at least possibly want. So it's there if you want it. My Dress Up Darling is written and illustrated by... Shinichi Fukada. Fukada. Shinichi Fukada. I think I'm getting slightly better at my, uh, not, not pronunciation really, but the like, yeah, I guess pronunciation. Not sounding out names, but pronunciation. <laughs> uh, my Dress Up Darling began as a serialization in Square Enix's Young Gangan magazine in January of 2018. There are 10 volumes in Japanese as of September 2022. English Volume 7 is coming out today, as I mentioned. Volume 8 in English will be coming out April 11th, but for some reason I I, I can't find a place to buy it. I'm, I don't know if it's sold out. It, doesn't, it just doesn't say. I don't know. And then Volume 9 will come out July 18th. There is an anime version. You can find it on Crunchyroll. It is so cute. Um, the adaption was done by Cloverworks and aired from January to March 2022. There is a sequel season that has been announced. They also released, apparently, which I only just found out doing the research for this, an anime found fan book they released in September. It included a special gallery of the TV anime. A special interview, I think, with the voice actress? I'm not sure. A story guide for all 12 episodes with comments by creators and a character introduction and character setting picture. How fun. It is category categorized as slice of life and romantic comedy. Also seen in, which I probably said wrong, which is, uh, I was very surprised to at first because that is the category that is marketed towards young men. I find a lot of the mangas that I read are 
for some reason marketed towards young men. <laughs> There's some that I get. Like this one, if I really thought about it, I got it. Comey can't communicate very slightly get, but not very much. That one is apparently also marketed towards young men. But then you get things like Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. Okay, I guess I get that one too. But that's an entirely female cast. I don't know. I guess they just don't really think about girls wanting to read about girls in Japan. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But the reason that it does make sense that it's marketed towards young men <laughs> is because it goes into the category of eki or echi. I'm not sure which way to say it. Um, a good, a good little description I found here is, while this is mostly a heartwarming story about two teenagers bonding over making cosplay outfits, there's quite a bit of fan service and male gaze, much of it coming from Kitagawa, the male main character. If the extremely detailed close-ups of Kitagawa's, oh sorry, coming from for Kitagawa. Kitagawa being the girl. If the extremely detailed close-ups of Kitagawa's nearly nude body didn't give it away, then seeing Sajina, another character, naked after a shower with visible nipples definitely will. Yeah, I don't know how they got away with that, honestly, but if you do go to Barnes & Noble to buy this, it will be wrapped in um, plastic <laughs> so that people can't read it in the store and see the inappropriate, the slightly inappropriate things. Uh, it does contain tons of hilarious and fun and uh, depending on who you are and how you take it, it could be mildly problematic tropes. Uh, I have a link to that. TVTropes.org is a fun website, in case you didn't know that. Uh, not being sarcastic, it really is fun. <laughs> um, but all of that is there. The main characters are Wakana Gojo, uh, they, the creator, Fukara, set Wakana as an orphan without friends in order to create a situation where he has to solve problems with Marin instead of his parents or other friends. Marin Kitagawa is the female star. She usually lives alone as her mother died when she was a child and her father is often away due to work. Then you have, uh, as previously mentioned, Sajina Inui. She is a local famous cosplayer known as Juju. She comes into the scene not too far in. And then you get Sinju Inui, who is Sajina's younger sister and her photographer. You get a lot of fun binaries between Sajuna and Sinju because Sajuna looks like an elementary school kid but is older than Gojo and Kitagawa. Um, and then her sister Shinju is younger than them, but she looks, her, her body has developed a lot quicker, <laughs> so she looks a lot older. And that's something that they play up a lot. Um, and it's really cute. And yes, there's a lot of like kind of perverted stuff in it, but. By God, it is so cute. <laughs> it's rooted in wholesome, you know, teenage crushes. You know, it's cute. <laughs> I don't have a lot to say for manga news this week. Um, I know that Raven of the Inner Palace, the light novel in English, volume one, has been pushed back two days from the 14th of February to the 16th. Uh, the Great Jahi, uh, which is another one that I am completely obsessed with, volume five is going to come out next in May. Uh, May 11th, and then Volume 6, August 17th. Uh, the the manga that I've been reading recently has been Witch Watch. I've been reading it on Shoujin Jump. Um, it's so cute! <laughs> also, I think I said Shoujin Jump. I think 
I think I said that. I meant Shonen Jump, obviously. Uh, the creator of Witch Watch, as I pull it up here to see what their name is, is Kenta Shinohara, who I believe, yes, they did uh, Astra Lost in Space, which is actually an anime. It was made into an anime that I've watched. This one, Witch Watch, as far as I know, has not been made into anything like that, but I would watch the heck out of it if it was, because good God, it's cute. So basically, um, it's about this girl who's a witch, obviously, um, and she she ends up with her childhood friend as her um uh as her familiar um <laughs> because he's an ogre which is a whole different thing that they explain in the manga um and it's just really cute so they end up living together alone and then this other guy shows up and he's trying to get her to admit that she has feelings for him it's it's just so cute i really enjoy it um i think i'm on like chapter 27 and there's 95 or 96 out so I'm off the next two days. I am planning on finishing that. What have you been reading in manga lately? We are going to talk about all of the February things of interest coming in comics. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about every comic that's going to be released in the month of February because that would take all day. Um, and while that might be fun, uh, we're not going to do that right now. So starting with things that have come out the first week of February, since they are already out from Image, they had Blood Tree and Almighty, both number ones. From DC, we have a bunch of number ones and one shots, including Batman, Legends of Gotham, number one, DC Power, a celebration, number one for uh, Black History Month. DC's Harley Quinn Romances number one, The Flash One Minute War Special number one, and Lazarus Planet Legends Reborn number one. AWA comes with Black Tape number one. Marvel also has a lot. God, this is number one week, isn't it? Bloodline Daughter of Blade number one. Dark Web Finale number one, which I am actually kind of excited to read and I really hope Zeb Wells didn't mess it up. Demon Wars Down in Flames number one, which I believe is the last of Pichamoko's Demon War series. Silver Surfer Ghost Light number one and Star Wars Sanastaros number one. Boom comes with Briar number three, I believe by Christopher Cantwell. Dynamite has Purgatory Must Die number two. I did not see my enjoyment of that one coming. Immortal Red Sonia number 10 is their final issue of that series and then dark horse has where monsters lie number one as for the rest of february there are some really interesting one shots and number ones coming from all through the industry so we're going to list a couple of them off here uh dc is going to finish lazarus plant will not finish it's going to continue lazarus planet with next evolution number one and dark fate number one as well as omega number one which i think actually does wrap it up uh, we have Batman Spawn Unplugged number one, which is unfortunately written by Todd McFarlane and therefore will probably not be very good. But the art will be. Capullo is good at art, so yeah. We have Batman One Bad Day Clayface. Superman number one kicks back off with Clark Kent as Superman once again. And then other things that I'm just excited for from DC, Poison Ivy number nine, G. Willow Wilson has been killing it. Batman 132, I think Bruce and Selina are reuniting. Batman Superman World's Finest number 12 is the Robin and Supergirl story and team up that I've been looking forward to. Catwoman at 52 has a new Catwoman and also Catwoman in jail, so I'm not really sure about that. Deceased War of the Undead Gods will come with number six. And Wonder Woman 796 features Wonder Girl Yara Floor. Marvel in February, Bishop War College number one, Red Goblin number one, Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants, which is of course spinning out of Sins of Sinister, which I will cover in just a little bit. 
Uh, Marvel's Voices Wakanda Forever, number one. Nightcrawlers, number one. Also Sins of Sinister series. Betsy Braddock, Captain Britain, number one. Immoral X-Men, number one. I believe also the Sins of Sinister. And then other things that I'm generally excited for, Captain Marvel 46 and X-Men number 19, because I believe it will start the crossover of those issues, which is super exciting. Carol does have a really, really um, in-depth history with the X-Men team, so I love to see that referenced. We'll also be seeing Wasp number two, although I have low hopes for it. Monica Rambeau Photon number three, which I do not have low hopes for. And Doctor Strange, False Sunrise number four, which I believe is the finale. She-Hulk number 10 and Thor number 31 by Torin Grombeck, who is also killing it. Opus is giving us Evanef Evanescence, My Heart is Broken, which I only feel like mentioning because I, I don't want to... I'm going to say this, but I don't mean it in a mean way. Evan no, okay, I know how to say it better. Evanescence has become a meme. That's that was going to say a joke. A meme is a better way. I don't mean that in a mean way, M-E-A-N, mean way. I mean, it's just, it's, um, it's, um, what is the term I'm looking for? They become legendary, and so I love that they're getting a comic now. From Boom, in February, they're giving us Hero number one, and I'm excited for Grimm number eight. Image Comics in February has Monarch number one, The Last Barbarians number one, Torrent, Local Man, and then 8 Billion Genies, 7 of 8, and we have Monstrous, number 43, and Saga, 62. Scout Comics has three kickoff issues, Rest in Peace, Banshees, and Kitsune, which I am quite excited for. Dark Horse gives a space job in Blue Book kicking off. Milestone Comics, the DC imprint, is giving us Icon versus Hardware, number one. IDW continues Earth Divers with issue 5, and from Vault, Godfell, number one. So getting into comics that I have read in this past week, mostly from last week, we are obviously going to have to discuss uh, how we got to where we are in the Sins of Sinister mini-event, I guess is what we're calling this. So I got this synopsis from Marvel.com. Um, they had a much, much, much longer version, but this is, I think, all we really need to know to understand Sins of Sinister number one, which we'll cover next. After working with the Quiet Council and Krakoa for several through several crises through Axe Judgment Day, Mr. Sinister, including Axe Judgment Day, Mr. Sinister tried to kill several members of the Quiet Council in Immortal X-Men number nine by Kieran Yeah, okay. However, these attacks did not meet Sinister's desired results, so he used a Moira clone to reset reality several times. On his tenth attempt, Sinister attacked the Quiet Council with a telepathic trap that left Professor X, Emma Frost, Exodus, and Hope Summers dead. As Sinister revealed in Sins of Sinister number one, the death of Hope plays a crucial part in his grand plan. When Sinister initially gave Krakoa his mutant genetic database, he hid copies of himself in every DNA sample. Although those alterations went unnoticed, Hope's powers subconsciously erased them during her role in the resurrection process. This inadvertently foiled Sinister's plans to compromise and control every mutant resurrected with his DNA. But with Hope dead, Sinister's plans can go forward as he originally envisioned. When the Krakoans resurrected Hope in Immortal X-Men number 10, they did so without removing Sinister's genetic tampering. As a result of that, Hope, Xavier, Exodus, and Frost have all been resurrected with Sinister's changes to their DNA intact, which effectively lets Sinister warp or influence their personalities. 
Although Sinister is exiled and imprisoned in Krakoa's pit of exile for his attack, he has control over several members of the Quiet Council and any mutant revived through the resurrection protocols from now on. That's our summary. Let's talk Sins of Sinister number one. It's quite convoluted, but we'll just ignore that. Uh, Mystique and Destiny are gone. Uh, we get Emma, Charles, Exodus, and Hope are all Sinisters. We get Forge is the next one, um, and then they give Forge his place on the Quiet Council, taking Sinister's place, which really isn't doing anything for anybody because it's Sinister. Um, they end up killing Krakoa with a shot to the brain somehow. They blame Orcus and use that to get humanity on their side. They release Sinister Prime from his prison. Juggernaut is turned into a bullet and used to kill Thanos, but then is left to go through space eternally. Doom tries to plan with Namor, but Namor is already taken by Emma and kills him, replacing him with a robot. Arako and Krakoan mutants take on the Eternals with Uranos, and Uranos kills them all. And then the Eternals, like, resurrection stuff is all left in space and stasis somewhere random. Ben Grimm is turned into a human and uh, somehow taken by Sinister. He gives Reed and Sue his old powers and kills them in the process, because he's vindictive, I guess. Cap takes control of the government after murdering the president. The Avengers go to war with the X-Men over this, and the Avengers lose. Five years on from Sinister being shut away, Storm confronts the Council with the fact that Nightcrawler isn't Nightcrawler. Sinister makes his grand entrance. Storm gives her savior call... Um, which is something that I guess they set up previously in uh, X-Men Red. She makes it to Peru, where she meets up with Destiny and Mystique. Shaw becomes an emissary to Hell. Thor had left the Avengers as soon as they went evil, so magic destroys Asgard with Surtur's sword. Wanda is removed from the picture. Sinister perfects his chimeras, combining mutant genes and powers. Mars and Araco uh, slash Araco is destroyed. Storm's fate is unknown. Ten years on from Sinister being trapped away, people are queuing up for the X-Gene. Full of Sinister X-Gene. Space entities are now starting to notice what's happening on Earth and becoming interested and angry about it. Sinister finds his new Quiet Council is starting to become too much like individuals, thinking too much for themselves. So he goes back to the island uh, to reset his Moiras, but his Moiras are there. They have, aren't there. They've been stolen, and he is trapped now uh, in the reality that he has created. The Lazarus Planet issue for this week was We Were Once Gods, talking about how even the gods are being affected by Lazarus Planet, and all of these are going to spin off into different issues for DC stuff, I guess. Uh, it starts with the monsters of the trenches coming out into the air, having been turned human, basically, which is, I think, honestly fascinating. Also, it had Francis Manipal art. He is a brilliant Filipino artist who I, a writer as well, actually. Uh, his Trinity was just absolutely brilliant and excellent case for give a creator all of the time and room they need. Uh, elsewhere, a man in Metropolis gains the ability to take away people's pain, and he takes it from 327 people in mere days. Martian Manhunter tries to help and discovers that the man has a fragment of Doomsday in him. Martian Manhunter can't actually help with that, so the man takes Doomsday uh, back because he tried to absorb him, you know, and he gets crushed into a crystal of blood and pain, so that sucks for him. Uh, Theseus and the armies of Heracles arrive under sea at Themyscira. 
They try to evade, but Nubia and the army protects the island. Uh, Amazons are going to have to face off now with every army they have ever fought coming back uh, for revenge now as zombies. Caitlin Yarsky does the art for the Mary Marvel Shazam story. Absolutely love her art. Uh, she's not somebody who suffers from the same face comic book artist syndrome, and I adore that. Uh, Mary Marvel goes, is going to the Rock of Eternity to free Billy, the former Shazam, since magic is all wonky and he might be able to be freed at right now. She tries to do what she did previously at the Tower of Fate um, to Shazam it open, basically, but it doesn't work. She also has Black Adam's heir Bolt with her. Uh, I know nothing about him, I just know that now he's Black Adam's heir and his name is Bolt. They do get inside the Rock of Eternity, but it's full of all these images of Billy as Shazam trying to fight them, and it's this whole psychological thing. And then in the end, Billy is able to um, absorb the rock, as opposed to it basically have absorbed him. So he's kind of free, and then the end of the issue reveals that, um, what's his name? The original Shazam guy, whatever the heck his name was, he's, like, mad. So, whatever. Uh, Harley Quinn number 26, we have the many Harleys of many universes are destroying Gotham. Batwoman joins Team Harley to settle the situation. Harley is sad that Ivy hasn't shown up to help yet. We have three artists in this issue. Matteo Lilly is the standard artist, plus guest artist David Baldion, who is utterly fantastic, and Pascal Colano, who, I'm sorry, was very meh. Uh, in the end, they kidnap all the Harleys and bring them to the pier to trap the Harley who laughs because she wants to kill all the Harleys. And that's when the Harley who laughs shows up and reveals that she has somehow captured Poison Ivy. Finally, Exterminators number five. Um, basically, Jubilee goes bald while killing the Collector. Magic joins and gets a monster baby. Really, really fun stuff, honestly. Um... Aside from all of those comics, I still need to catch up on Monstrous and Saga before we cover the new issues that came out this week, or rather last week, uh, but I will be doing that hopefully very soon. And that leaves us with our final segment of the podcast, Shows and Movies, which is quite broad. Uh, we're going to talk about what's been new and noteworthy in the past little while that I've been gone, uh, briefly going over trailers and more, and then we're talking to talk anime and then Teen Titans. So starting off with new and noteworthy things, the first thing I want to mention is that uh, the Beauty and the Beast 30th Anniversary Live happened, and it was put up on Disney+. Plus. If you would like to watch that, the reason that I am mentioning that is because it features the first Black and Filipina Belle, um, and that is Gabby Wilson, a.k.a. Her. Uh, I did not know that she was her. I have never seen I like I'm just I'm I'm not Gen Z, I just don't know who her is, but now I do. Uh and she is a black Filipina Belle who played Belle in Beauty and the Beast 30th anniversary for Disney, and I think that is just utterly fantastic. Speaking of Disney Plus, Wakanda Forever is on Disney Plus as of yesterday, the first of February. If you are uh interested in hearing my review about Wakanda Forever, I put that on the last episode at the end, so you can definitely go check that out. Disenchanted was on Disney Plus as of November 18th. I did get around to watching that and enjoyed it very much. I think it did not actually fall victim to sequel syndrome. They did a pretty good job. Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special was up on Disney Plus as of November 25th. Uh, really fun. Yeah, yeah, it was really fun. It was cute. I like Mantis. Um, I'm excited for Drax to be exiting the MCU and Mantis to be getting a bigger role, hopefully. So that's cool. 
Uh, Wednesday, as I mentioned a little bit before, Wednesday is up on Netflix. It has eight episodes. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I also lost my mind. Not really. I, I really, um, I was very tickled when I realized that they cast their Gomez and Morticia to be, uh, pretty much looking like the original Gomez and Morticia grown up. I really, really enjoyed that. And you can kind of get that confirmed when you see who they, who they cast, as young Gomez and Morticia, because there is flashbacks as well. They look just like the um, original Adams Family castings. It's really, really fantastic. They did a great job with that show. Uh, Andor also wrapped up. I have yet to watch it. <laughs> it's among other things I have yet to watch um, to wrap up yet. Mandalorian is going to be coming March 1st, which is super exciting on Disney Plus. That should be a Wednesday. I'm just going to double check here. March 1st is, in fact, a Wednesday. Um, there's been all kinds of trailers and stuff for that. Basically, it's going to be awesome. That's all I think we... I, 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 I almost feel like I don't even need to watch trailers for certain things anymore because we know it's going to be good. <laughs> I'm just teasing myself, really. Um, I also rewatched Rings of Power. Um, which was really fun. I really, really enjoyed that show. You can go back and listen to my episode coverages of that if you would like. Um, one thing that I didn't think about previously, but since I went back and watched all the Hobbit movies after that, which are, you know, they're fine. Certain parts of them are way better than others, obviously. Um, I didn't think about the potential Galadriel Gandalf relationship, and obviously spoilers for Rings of Powers, um, Rings of Power. Uh, but we meet Gandalf, let's call him young Gandalf in this, and we also meet young Galadriel, and we know, because of, you know, lore and stuff, I guess it's really just the movies, um, that Galadriel and Gandalf had some kind of a special relationship at some point in life, right? Um, so I'm very curious if that is something that they're going to expand upon, since the two of them have found themselves youthful and attractive and within you know, stone throw of a distance or something like that. Uh, I also rewatched Wheel of Time. Uh, there's a lot, <laughs> a lot of stuff I did not catch the first go round. So I'm a lot more invested in it now. However, I made the mistake of looking at the wiki of Wheel of Time. Good God, it sounds depressing, the rest of the show. <laughs> it just seems like all of the female characters get their power taken away and all the male characters become like the heads of things. I don't know. It just seems really, I, hopefully they'll do a good job in the show, but I, I definitely would not like those books if I was to try and read them today. Uh, Mythic Quest was a thing that was happening on Apple TV plus or whatever the heck they call themselves now. I don't even know. Uh, really fun. I very much enjoyed the season and how it switched up the dynamic a lot. And now we're going back into uh, the Mythic Quest game in the, you know, in the show with like fresh eyes, so we could say. Things that I'm currently watching, I've talked about The Neighborhood before. I think it's awesome. Uh, National Treasure, Edge of History. You may chuckle. You can chuckle all you like. It's really good. Also, uh, if you're a person who is musically inclined, do me a favor, listen to the theme song, that, like the entrance theme song, the credits theme, you know, the theme credits song, that one. Um, what is the time signature? Every time, it, I think it's two, I, I, I can't figure it out. It might change, but I need somebody who's a little bit better with that kind of thing. I thought I was really good with it, but I cannot for the life of me figure out the time signature of that song. 
I think it changes is probably what happens. Somebody please go listen to it and tell me because it's ever it's a great like little theme song they gave it. But like, oh, my God, what is the you can't tap a beat. You can't like tap along to it. I don't know. Uh, Mayfair Witches. Also, going back to National Treasure Edge of History for just a second, Catherine Zeta-Jones is stunning. Absolutely stunning. Uh, and the show is just really fun. I really like it. I mean, I, I like, you know, history things that may or may not be real. The Dan Brown books, you know. So this is right up my alley. And they do, they're, they're doing a great job with it, honestly. Uh, also, Mayfair Witches. I don't know anything about Anne Rice's books. I did not know that this was at all in the same universe, possibly, as Interview with a Vampire, which I could not care less about, to be honest. But Mayfair Witches, that's, that's, that got my interest very quickly. Um, it helps that Alexandra Daddario is in that, because she's awesome for many reasons. Uh, but yeah, Mayfair Witches, that one is also really, really cool. I, I, I recommend it. I think it's on AMC. So the trailers and things, um, the, the trailers that have come out, we've got Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, uh, Across the Spider-Verse, Quantumania, Fury of the Gods, which that whole shit, <laughs> Zachary Levi, my man, you are just not smart. Um, and then they announced today Star Wars Visions Volume 2 is going to start streaming May 4th. We'll probably talk about that once we get a little closer closer to May. Um, but Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 th th was... <laughs> What's his name who plays Drax? Uh, Dave Bautista. He made that interview where he was like, I don't want to pigeonhole, pigeonhole myself as Drax. I, I, that's why I'm, I'm going to quit playing the character after this movie. He's probably going to die. I honestly kind of look forward to it because his character is quite annoying. Um, but... <laughs> My man, you were pigeonholed as Drax after volume one. <laughs> you were, it's too late. Uh, so that'll be a thing that we watch, right? Um, also funny that James Gunn deleted the tweet that said he was not going to cast a Caucasian actor as, um, um, as Adam Warlock. And look who's playing Adam Warlock. <laughs> A Caucasian actor. He deleted that tweet. It's really funny. Uh, the Blue Beetle poster, It's I'm sure Blue Beetle will be good. That's one of the last four pre-gun, I guess is what they're calling it, projects over there at the DCU, which I think is what they're finally settled on for, for referencing it as. Across the Spider-Verse trailer obviously looks excellent. We have a lot of really cool actors and actresses who are going to be in that one. We also had the this few leaked pictures, uh, pap paparazzi-style pictures from the, uh, Madame Web movie. Not a whole lot to take from that, to be honest. Uh, Quantumania trailer, Kang is gonna be fantastic, I think. Um, yeah, I think people are just gonna end up rooting for him like they waited they did Thanos. <laughs> and then Shazam Fury of the Gods, it's, it's gonna be a movie. Zachary Levi, um, is not very bright. Uh, but that's it. That's all I really have to say about the trailers because um, it's been so long since most of these came out. I'm sure you've seen all the rundowns and we'll talk more about these projects as they come out. I am not at all embarrassed by how excited I am for the segment, the anime segment. There's, like I said, there's a reason I'm using the anime tarot to go through the tarot lessons, okay? 
Um, I am embracing my 29-year-old weebness that I tried to hide in high school and stuff. So embrace it. Uh, Spy X Family is slash was back. Still excellent. There are some series that I've been going through that I really, really enjoyed. Um, Asteroid in Love is one that I finished very recently. It has like somewhat mediocre reviews, but oh my god, it is so cute. Um, very much Yuri, you know, Yuri being like girl love, um, which a lot of times is like the like it looks platonic and you kind of have to like read into it to see the thing. But that's just how they are in Japan. They're really not into that unless it's I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I I want more Yuri manga and anime. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, New Game, speaking of Yuri, New Game is one that I have watched through twice now. So good. There's two seasons of it that I've watched through it twice. That's how you know it's good. I think I've talked about Kobayashi Dragon Maid. Uh, I've watched that one through twice now, too. Freaking brilliant. Love it. Um, one that was super cute that I did not see coming was if my favorite pop idol made it to the bu- Budokan, I would die. <laughs> it's a bunch of like adults and their day jobs who are star, um, no, they're massive fans of, like, teen pop idols. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really cute, but it's completely wholesome. They don't want to fuck these girls or anything. I'm sorry. That's, there might be kids listening. Are there kids listening? Um, I don't think so, but it, it's, it's extremely wholesome. Another wholesome one was My Senpai is Annoying. Um, it's a little bit in the vein of, um, I can't remember the show's name, but it's this little tiny petite girl who is working at an office building and her boss is this like enormous dude. Um, it's just a very cute dynamic. Another one is Miss Kuritsu from the monster development department. Um, it's kind of fun, like monster girls versus uh, magical girls sort of thing. And she works for the monster side and it's very fun. And obviously there's a, there's a main villain in the end who brings them all together. Beast Tamer was, I, it has finished now. It was very cute. Um, not super, super into it, but it was, it was a fun enough watch. Things that I am currently watching that are not currently airing includes Konohana Kitten, Katan, sorry, Katan. There's one episode left of that for me. Shadow's House, I don't, I haven't finished. Skate the Infinity, I just started. Honestly, I'm a little bit on the fence for that one. Uh, and Super Cub, which is a nice background show. Current watch list for things that are coming out. Tomo-chan is a girl is really fun. Uh, that's a, a high school girl who's had a crush on her childhood friend. Tries She's extremely boyish. She's trying to get her him to see her um, as a girl, but she doesn't want to like change herself, so that's good. Ice Guy and his cool female colleague is really cute. By the Grace of the Gods is going into its second season, as is Don't Toy With Me, Miss Nagatoro, which had a, an absolutely hilarious joke in that, uh, I believe it was second or third episode that has come out now. Then there is Saving 80,000 Gold in Another World for My Entirement, obviously an isekai. Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury, is not currently coming out, but it is getting its English dub, so I'm watching that. Uh, Blue Lock, I think, is almost over, but it's pretty interesting. Sugar Apple Fairy, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna like, as the same with Handyman Saito in Another World, and Trigun Stampede, which is a little bit high energy, so we'll see how far I get on that one. The jury is still out for me on Ninjin Fushin, Adventurers Who Don't Believe in Humanity Will Save the World. It's good, but I'm kind of 
not super into it. We'll see. Also, same way with the reincarnation of the strongest exorcist in another world, Revenger, and the Ice Blade Sorcerer shall rule the world. Buddy Daddy, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to keep watching because that kid is just a little bit too annoying. But yeah, what, what animes are you watching? To wrap up today's episode, or this week's episode, we have Titans Season 4 Part 1. We're going to wrap up the uh, the ending of it a little bit. Uh, Jinx was a character who showed up. Uh, she makes some references to John Constantine. She's very much a magical character. Really cool outfit they give her. You know, she had a thing with Nightwing. Honestly, I don't blame either of them. Uh, but she does get killed in the end of this uh, last episode, I believe. Potentially not for the first time. I'm not sure if she's actually dead. Superboy gets mad and goes kind of lame, to be honest. He, like, takes after Lex, and it's it looks stupid, to be honest. Corey is having visions again. Uh, as for the Raven update, uh, she goes through the whole thing, the White Raven powerless thing, where she feels like she doesn't have power. You know, she feels like she finally doesn't have feel the pain and the suffering of everyone around her constantly all the time. And meanwhile, she's helping Beast Boy with his, you know, whatever his bidness with the red is. And she eventually, they, I think it's the finale of this part of the season, uh, Mother Mayhem puts the power that she had stolen from her in the temple of her father Trigon, uh, but she gets it back, at least in part, and becomes full-blown White Raven, which was really, really cool to see. And then the guy who was future brother Blood, he does, um, you know, the weird stuff happens. We find out that he is Raven's half-brother through Trigon, and Mother Mayhem is his mother. And, of course, he chooses evil in the end. Part two of this is likely coming in April. I'll let you know when we know for sure. Um, and as I said in the beginning, I am still catching up on Doom Patrol Season 4 and The Bad Batch Season 2, so we'll cover those when we get there. Or when I get there, I guess. But that wraps up today's episode. A little bit shorter than last time, I think. Um, I'm trying to catch up on absolutely everything that I've missed in the past few months and mention some, uh, give everything at least a little mention. So I'll be back again next week. Um... <coughs> I haven't checked my work schedule, but I think I'm off Tuesday, so I'll plan on doing the episode on Tuesday again, like normal, recently at least. Um, it is the midway point between winter and spring. It's a very meaningful day for certain parts of the community. Um, go for a walk. Enjoy the changing seasons and the changing weather. Um get the little bit of cold in your lungs while you can, you know, within reason, no one, anybody freezing in their car, you know, do some, do some nice baking, make a potato soup. That's the loaded potato soup is a really good one for today. Light some candles, just in that, make, make, find some time this week to enjoy yourself. Maybe meditate a little bit, um, bring yourself back into reality and into your prime and, um, ask yourself if you are doing all that you should be doing, if you are being the person that you want to be, and if you're not either of those, then change that. And as always, don't be an asshole. Have a great week.